your head out of the clouds Get your feet back on the ground Get stuck into pop culture With Stick Around Hello there and welcome to Stick Around Xbox Scorpio, it'll sting you with dreams of power and wealth, beware of Xbox Scorpio. (laughs) Sponsored by the Bloom Corporation, the world's most foremost innovator of high-tech, high-performance communications and security technology. Just give us all of your data. We won't do anything shadowy with it. Honest. (laughs) Right. Going back yeah. to the um, Scorpio song, Al. Uh, yeah. Care to provide some context? No, if you, if you didn't get it, it wasn't meant to <laughs> If you didn't get it, you don't deserve to get it. No. Yeah, yeah if, okay. you know, right. if you didn't grow up watching um, BBC Two from 6 o'clock till 7.30 during the early to mid-noughties, you won't have got that, but I don't care. Uh, yeah, welcome I sure to- as hell didn't get it. But I feel like even if <laughs> even if you did do that, that doesn't necessarily explain why you just sang it at the top of the show. Don't care, don't care. <laughs> okay. uh, welcome to uh, Stick Around Games episode. I want to say like maybe twenty something. Yeah, like twenty one. Twenty one. I was close. Um, I'm here with games expert Dave Peeling. Hello. Games expert James Flux. Hello there. And Nintendo expert, Clive Fisher. <laughs> Back again, hey, you're right. Yeah, I we're all excited to hear uh, what you have to say about uh, the Switch, Clive. Have you been oh, yes. uh, Have you been smashing it? Um, well, yeah, pretty much. I don't think I've turned <laughs> anything else on since I've got it, to be honest. But, <laughs> so yeah, been playing plenty of it, as you'll hear. Um, before we start quickly, I just want to do a quick pod announcement. Uh, we're going to be, we've decided to... <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Nearly as good as your Scorpio song. Yeah, not quite. We're going to try, and because we've been slacking on getting them out weekly, we've thought, due to my busyness, we're going to uh, make the episodes one hour and try and do them every week. So hopefully, me saying this is going to force us to do it, because, you know, we don't like to let listeners down. So from now on, hopefully, episodes will be weekly and about an hour long. <laughs> Which I think is optimum because I think most of the podcasts I listen to are about that. So yeah, I mean, I, I think mean, it, I, I think th- it's better to get them regularly. I think if we cut out what you say entirely, Clive, we can probably get it to an hour standardly anyway. <laughs> <laughs> probably, probably right. I mean, yeah. I mean, I, I know I, I mean, I know I do in my head whilst I'm listening to a full two-hour one. So, I mean, I can just time the amount of yeah. times I'm not paying attention to Clive. <clears throat> well, yeah. <laughs> And uh, that seems like the perfect segue to go to Clive for his first game. (laughs) Right, um, if you don't want to listen to me, just don't listen for the next 20-odd minutes. (laughs) Um, I won't be that long. Uh, I'm going to start with the biggest game of the year, maybe. Probably, if you're a Nintendo fan, definitely. Uh, I'm going to start with Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild now. As a huge Nintendo fan, I've been eagerly waiting this since it was announced in 2013 when good old Nintendo told me it would be out in 2015. Uh, <laughs> here in 2017, it's finally here. Uh, and I, well, I was just super, super excited to play it because, yeah, I, to be honest, had been, loads of people had watched, there's been so much stuff like online and videos of, you know, the first bits of it and Nintendo's released loads of stuff before it was being released, at, in the, probably the year up to it coming out, which I've mostly avoided, not really through necessarily because I didn't want it spoiled, but just because I don't generally watch, I don't really watch preview footage very much. I usually just watch till something's come out and then hear whether it's good or not and then get it. <laughs> I'm not really into it. See, you know, watching videos or something that's going to be coming out in six months' time. Same with films, really. I never watch trailers. But so I kind of went into this pretty much fresh. I knew the rough outline that it was a complete overhaul of the thing, but I didn't know the many intricacies that some others might have known about if they'd watched all that content. Um, so anyway, Breath of the Wild is a. It's on the Nintendo Switch, which I've had now a couple of months and I'm loving it. I'll go into a little bit. I'm not going to talk about the console specifically, but I will go into some of the 
things about it as part of the review, I suspect. So I'll just go into the game. Um, Breath of the Wild, it's a complete revamp of the Zelda formula. It's an open world, or I think Nintendo called it open air, whatever they mean by that. Um, you can go wherever the hell <laughs> you can go wherever the hell you like. You can do whatever the hell you like, and um, that's what that's kind of what the game claims. And unlike a lot of open world games, in this case, it is mainly true. Um, you really can go anywhere. Like the first thing that I noticed, pretty much any. I've played plenty of other open world games before, although recent the last couple of years I've played that many just because they tend to be time sucks. And I was a little bit worried about this <laughs> about that with this game, but. I'm no longer worried. Um, this just, it, as soon as I picked it up, it was, it blew lots of the things that other open world girl games don't have straight out of the water. Like it just had, I literally could go anywhere. You can climb, if you can see a mountain, you can climb to the top of it and look out at the landscape from it. There is literally no mountain in the game that you can't climb. Um, there's no other game I can think of where that's the case. You just, there's always a bit where it's like, oh, that's too steep, you can't get up it. <laughs> uh, and that just made it feel like complete freedom, which is fantastic. Um, unlike other open world games as well, there's no order you have to do the story in whatsoever. You could go, if you wanted to, you could go straight to Hyrule Castle and go for the, you know, go for the main boss within the first hour if you want. Just go for it. But um, the chances of you beating him with three hearts and stuff are pretty slim. But if you want to, you can do it. Um, there's four... There's, I'll, I'll say that if you are don't want things spoiled even a tiny bit, then don't listen. But this, you know, I'm going to keep this really spoiler-like. It's going to be basically like reading a review on the internet. You know, I'm not going to... Certainly not going to spoil any story points or anything like that. But um, there's... But there's four main dungeons. I think, you know, it's been out a couple of months. Most people know that. Uh, but you can do those in any order you like. It does not matter. You can. You don't even have to do them all. Like I say, you can go straight to the main boss. You could do two and go to the boss. You could do three and go to the boss. Or you can do all four. Whatever. Whatever you want, you can do it. Um, it really is like every other game, open world game that I've played. You know, Red Dead, Love. But you have to do the main story bits in order. Yeah, there are side story bits. But the main story bit has to be in order. GTA, I'm less of a fan of. But does the same thing. Um Pretty any other open world. I was thinking earlier. Any other open world game I could think of did the same thing. Where yeah, the side missions are not uh, restricted in terms of what order you have to do them in a lot of the time, but the main story is. Whereas that is not the case here, uh, which I really liked about it. Basically, it's in terms of the story at the start of the game. You've woken up uh, having been asleep for a hundred years in the Shrine of Resurrection. Hundred years ago, you fought you as Link, obviously, fought against Ganon and lost. Ganon is still in control of uh, Hyrule now, and you wake up a hundred years later to having died defeating him, and you're trying to gain the power of the four divine beasts to help you destroy Ganon, uh, which Ganon currently has control of these four divine beasts, which were initially built a hundred years ago to defeat him. It's simpler than it sounds. <laughs> um, the gameplay is. Combat-wise, very similar to previous Zelda's. Like you've got the Z trigger that they introduced in Ocarina. It's you know it was revolutionary back then. They haven't had to change much. It still works brilliantly. Um, you can backflip and dodge just like you've always been able to. It's very simple but effective combat. Like I've played Shadow of Mordor recently, which has a more sort of complex uh, combat system. But I think this is other combat systems. Uh, someone brought this up on another podcast I listened to. Often work and seem great but they always restrict restrict you being attacked by one thing at a time like you like in shadow of mordor quite often you'd like attacking 50 orcs at once but pretty much only one of the orcs can actually engage you in combat and the others are just stood around sort of missing you <laughs> which has to me always seemed a bit weird that doesn't happen in this game which at some points makes things pretty tricky because you, you know there's only so much you can see with a camera but i think it's just way more it just makes the fights way less like predictable because in Shadow of Mordor, you pretty much know if you've got the fighting down, even if there's 500 orcs, you're going to nail them all uh, because they're going to come at you one by one, pretty much. Whereas here, if there's 500 Bokoblins trying to kick your ass, it doesn't matter how good you are, you're probably going to lose. And just the... You have to really think about, right, I'm going to take out this guy first because he's the biggest threat, things like that. The combat's more... At points, more clunky because it's less predictable. But I think the more added freedom that gives you makes it for, made it for me more interesting. The difference, the main difference in the combat is that this time all the weapons are breakable, which loads of people whinged about because they're like, "Oh, well, I don't want my sword to break." And um, I was a big fan of this. I didn't think I would be, <laughs> but pretty much within an hour of playing it, I was like, "Yeah, this is great." Because literally, most of your weapons don't last more than 
as soon as you kill one enemy, maybe one and a half, it'll break, which seems like a lot. Um, even swords and things break pretty quickly. But I, I just it just made it feel way more like a survival game because you'd have to kill an enemy, then pick up whatever weapon they had and use that on the next enemy. And that, for me, made it, rather than just using the same sword throughout the entire game, I was using all sorts of random stuff like, as you know, spears with... Even at, you can even pick up, um, you know, the skeletons. I've forgotten what they're called. When they die, you can pick up their arms and use that as a weapon. <laughs> so you're just using all sorts of random stuff, which to me made it way more varied and interesting. And it just felt a bit more survivally than having this weapon, which was constantly at your side and doesn't break. So I really like that um, part of it, and I didn't find it. The, you know, as soon as you kill something, you get a weapon. So I didn't at any point find it that I wasn't didn't have a weapon. So I don't think that was a problem. I think it just made it a bit more interesting in terms of varying things up. Um, the puzzles, you know, Zelda games are famous for puzzles. This one is a little bit different because the dungeons have taken a back seat because most of the game is just this massive open world and it is huge. As opposed to having previous Zeldas which went, you've, you've done one dungeon, now move to the next dungeon. Yeah, Wind Waker was kind of open worldy in some respects, but it was still um, dominated by dungeons essentially and the puzzles were kind of integrated into the dungeons because the dungeons in this one have less of a main influence um, and they're quite different, but I don't want to go into it really um, because of spoilers. The sort of puzzles are brought into this game by what are called shrines and these are, you know, there's over a hundred of these spread throughout the map and they're just little, almost like a cone shape um, with a sort of tribal design around it and they're lit up orange if you haven't discovered them yet and you go inside and there's some sort of puzzle and if you beat the puzzle you get a spirit orb and once you've got four of those you can exchange it for a new heart or more stamina. I'll get into what stamina is later on. An extra heart obviously that's been a thing for loads of Zeldas. Uh, you just get more hearts for collecting the heart containers um, which gives you more health. The shrines, I thought, all the ones, and I've done literally about half at the minute, and I've been playing this game for 70 hours, so that gives you an idea of the scope. Uh, <laughs> it's all, all the shrines I've come to are really, except there's a, some which have like tilt controls, they don't work very well, but I've literally been across two. But the rest have been really, really well designed, like the puzzles are really interesting. <laughs> there's been some, there's a couple which I, I've been, you know, making a point of not looking at any guides, and there's a couple which still fucks me to this day. And um, that's Beck knocking at the window. <laughs> I don't think she's brought her key. Brilliant. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. I'll be get one it. minute. Can't decide <laughs> if we'll guys. get this in the edit or leave it in for comedic effect. <laughs> <laughs> Ever the professional podcast here. Listeners at home will be interested to know that this didn't actually happen whilst we were recording it, but we have edited in this interruption in post yeah, it's like you know when you hear all the uh, you know the bants on top on the Top Gear, and uh, yeah. they're all scripted. Like everything, every single word, down to the words I'm saying right now, we've intricately written down in a script. And you may be thinking to yourself, well, why is it not funny then? Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that's just well, that's, the way it's gone. That, that's big... e that's exactly the problem that the writers of the new Halifax Top Cat advert. Sorry, had. I'm uh, back. <laughs> The biggest irony, of course, is that we've added this interruption in post on the episode where we said we were going to cut down the length of the episodes and uh, do them more regularly. Yeah. <laughs> Adding an extra layer oh, of I... comedic effect. Well, I don't oh. know what you're on about, but I'm sure I'll find out when I edit it. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm back. Um, I'll carry on from where I left off. I was on Puzzles, right? Shrines. Uh, yeah, the shrines are all really good. There's some combat shrines where you just have to fight things which are also interesting because some of the enemy, it gets pretty difficult the higher up you go, although they're a bit less interesting than the puzzle ones, but there isn't many of those. But the shrines, I thought, was brilliant. It really kind of makes you want to, uh, gives you an incentive to really explore this ridiculously open world. And yeah, you can see one of the ways to get shrines is to go up. Each of the eight segments of the world has a big tower. And when you get to the top of that tower, it gives you kind of like Assassin's Creed, but less shit or in my opinion um, <laughs> because when you get to the top of a like I can't remember what they're called in Assassin's Creed but um or Black Flag the one I've played I think they're all the same it like opens up the map but then also tells you all the little side missions and gives you a pointer of where they are this doesn't it just gives you the topography of that region but doesn't really tell you where anything is which I think is way better because you can you can plan a little bit because you can see like right it's snowy over there so I need to wear some snowy clothes but 
but it doesn't tell you where everything is, which in my opinion makes it not really an exploration game because you know exactly where everything is. But you can see like from the top of these really high tires, you can see some of the shrines and you can point them out. You can like pin them um, using your binoculars and then it comes up on your map where they are and you can go and find those. But most of the shrines are like cleverly hidden in mountains where you can't see them from high points. So you have to really explore and find them a different way, which I think is really cool. So yeah, I, I was a big fan of the shrine thing. I think that works really well and gives it that puzzly vibe which Zelda should have and it's still there. In the dungeons, I'm, like I'm not going to go into them massively because I don't want to spoil them, but they have this, they have interesting mechanics where you can actually manipulate the dungeons themselves in, in a way which um, I really liked. So you can like move certain parts of the dungeon using a control and then that impacts how certain things operate inside the dungeon which adds an extra layer to the puzzles. <laughs> which I enjoyed. Um, there's cooking, the last bit of gameplay I'm going to talk about, <laughs> which is cooking, quite cooking. cool. You can kind of just, you just pick up, there's so many things, you know, you kill, you can kill animals for meat, you can pick up fruit off trees, you can, you get given random stuff. You can mix these things up together and then cook them in a pot, usually near a stable, but you can do it anywhere really. And then it gives you some sort of thing which gives you Either it could be added heat resistance, could just give you loads of hearts, or it depends what you cook together and you learn kind of what combinations give you what. But I thought that was an interesting thing because it meant that it, fe it feels like every time you go out to a new area and you're like, right, I'm going to get ready for it, it feels like you're setting up an expedition because rather than just having all this food you've picked up, it's way better cooking it all up first. So you go into the stable, you know, cook all the stuff that you've got in various <laughs> different uh, combinations and then see what you get and then you've got you know, a good stash of meals to keep you going that give you extra hearts or whatever to keep you going through this new area. And that makes it feel like setting up for an expedition and adds to the survival element, I think. It's a little bit annoying that, you know, it take, the cooking thing takes a little bit too long, I think, um, to set some of the things up because of you, just because the way the inventory set out. But I overall liked it. And even though I've been playing it for 70 hours, I'm not tired of it. I think it's good. Um, the, and stamina, which I mentioned before, you can increase your stamina. Stamina is this little wheel that kind of goes down when you run or climb stuff, basically. So, like I've said, climbing is a big part of the game because you can climb up every mountain you want. But the wheel gradually runs out. So at the start of the game, you've only got one wheel and it, you can't climb for particularly long. So you might not be able to get to the top of, you know, really, really high cliffs. But if you invest your spirit orbs from getting the shrines into your stamina wheel, you can get, I think, up to... Th oh, I'm not going to spoil it. <laughs> I nearly did. Then. Yeah, you can increase the amount of wheels anyway. So you can climb for much longer. Um, I don't think I'm anywhere near the maximum yet. But you can... That's an interesting element as well. And also, one of the other really amazing things is you get this glider, which you can, at the top of a mountain, you can just jump off and then hang on to this glider and just like soar above this ridiculously awesome world <laughs> uh, and then drop whenever you like and you know quickly press the glider again before you hit before you land so you don't hurt yourself and it just feels everything about the game just feels like this massive sense of freedom that also plays into how the dungeons are because in previous elders you have it's like this is the hookshot dungeon because you've just got the hookshot so you know that most of the puzzles are going to involve the hookshot <laughs> Or you've, at the end of that dungeon, you might get a, I don't know, a boomerang. And then the next dungeon might be, you can't get in it unless you've got the boomerang. Um, here, you get everything straight away. But it's not really weapon-based. You get the, you have this, what's called a Sheikah Slate, which has various powers. Like, one of them is magne called Magnesis, which means you can pick up metal things and move them around. One of them is called Stasis, which means it stops things that are moving. And you use, there's five all-in-alls. One of them is just remote bombs. Five all-in-all, and you use those in various combinations to solve these shrines. But because you have them all already in every shrine, it's, it can set up things more interestingly and use more of a combination of the five rather than just having, right, I know you've only got one of these at this point. So you basically know you're going to have to use this, which I thought made the puzzling much more interesting. Right, moving on to the graphics. The Switch isn't as powerful as, let's say, the PS4. But that's, you know, not unsurprising considering the Switch is a tablet about the tenth of the size of the PS4 or Xbox One, probably less so. <laughs> and literally all the power... I know some people think that the dock that you dock the Switch in has added power. It doesn't. All the power comes from the little tablet that you carry around. So it's like a handheld device, essentially. But the um, graphics in this game are, I think, really, really good. The, but it's mainly thanks to the art design. The... Fidelity might not be as good as, say, some games on the PS4, like I've heard Horizon Zero Dawn and stuff like that looks fantastic. 
But the just the art design is the characters are designed like Wind Waker, which is probably you know up there with Ocarina of Time for me. I find it really hard to pick between those two. But that I definitely loved the Wind Waker art style, and that was my favourite Zelda art style. So I was happy with that. Whereas the environments are a bit more realistic, but have a kind of Skyward Sword, slightly cartoony vibe to them but not it's hard to explain but it, it's stunning and i think it's just really really well done it's i remember when i first got out of the shrine of resurrection where you start there's this long sort of cell shaded bright green grass and then you can just see this vast world in front of you and you just know you can go anywhere and it's it's just a really really stunning moment and but the art design throughout is really, really good. The only negative I'd say on the graphics front for me was, yeah, sometimes some of the, uh, like when you're climbing up a mountain, some of the resolutions aren't as, some of the textures aren't as high resolution as you might think, but that's usually a case with open world games because everything, because you can literally go on anything. <laughs> Whereas a game like, another game I've been playing like Doom, uh, you're generally just w- wandering around following one specific channel. So some of the things I don't have to worry about having ridiculously high resolution on some of the stuff that you're not really going to get anywhere near. The, an open world game doesn't really have that luxury, so it tends to suffer from that. So there's there's that now and again, but again, it didn't really bother me. The one thing that did bother me a bit was sometimes um, when you're floating, especially in the air, like I said, on the glider, you some of the stuff pops in sometimes because of the draw distance. Now, which is a little bit annoying sometimes because you you're on top of the tower and you might be looking out for something and you would have been able to see it if the you know console had rendered it <laughs> miles away but because it didn't you didn't see it so you have to float for ages and then it suddenly pops in and you're like oh there it is so that's occasionally a little bit annoying in a game where it's all about getting to high areas and looking out but it didn't detract from the experience a lot for me uh the story and oh another thing on the graphics the I had one of this, I walked through like this wood and just a really stunning moment. It's like really sort of cloudy and I think it was chucking it down and this like fox ran across and then there was like this blue shiny rabbit and I talked about Alice in Wonderland on the book podcast and I felt like I was in Alice in Wonderland (laughs) and it was just like, I was just like, this game is stunning. But it's just really, really well designed everything and all the characters are really just beautiful and it's just, yeah, it's... It's proof for me that it's not about kicking out ridiculous amounts of power. It's about art design, for me, anyway, in games. I don't need it to look super realistic. I want the people doing it to be inventive. And they definitely are here. Um, the story story isn't really mind-blowing or anything, and I, but I do think it was constantly kind of intriguing for me, and I did want to find out kind of what had happened. It's not chronological, <laughs> because of the way the game is in terms of like how you have to go, you can go do anything in any bloody order, so it obviously can't be chronological. It's more of a kind of fill-in-the-gaps thing of like, oh, what actually did happen 100 years ago and why is Ganon still in charge and what's been happening over these 100 years? And it's kind of all based around that, and I think it did that really, really well. Um, the voice acting has been criticised. Some some of it's good. I think there's a couple of the performances are really good. Um, others are less so. Some of them are a bit like overly dramatic and a bit... It's never like... Totally cringy, I don't think, but there's definitely a few which could be better. But literally about 1% of the interactions are voice acted. Most of it's still the text, and I, for one, think that's great. I don't think there's any need for ridiculous amounts of voice acting in a Zelda game. I think it kind of adds to it. To be fair, I don't think Zelda's ever been a game that you could really point to the story or the performances as the reason it's good. I think... No, exactly, yeah. It's always been pure wonder and sort of like sense of gameplay. Yeah. And I think that the text, the people speaking like text, in, in my opinion, adds to that sense of wonder. A little, it gives it a different feel to like something where everyone's talking constantly. Um, and so I'm glad they didn't voice act everything. But it does work in some cases. And like I say, there's some misfires on the voice acting. But, you know, something that will be improved in the future, I'm sure. Um, there's cutscenes, but not loads. And they're generally pretty decent. Again, like I said, let down a little bit by the voice acting. But... I found them intriguing overall, but yeah, like like you said, you don't really play a game of Zelda for the story. You kind of know what it's going to be about. You've got to beat Ganon. <laughs> uh, it's usually a bit uh, more intriguing than, say, a Mario story, but it's still usually sort of more broad strokes than this really um, intricate story, and that's certainly the case here. Um, my, I'll go before I finish on sort of my overall opinions. My main gripes are... The inventory management is a little bit annoying at times. Like, you can only hold, say, eight weapons at the start. And that's not a problem, really. But the problem is sometimes where you want to chuck things away. 
to replace it with a different weapon that you've just found. That's sometimes a little bit too tedious. With the weapons it's fine, but with the bows and arrows and shields you have to actually go into a menu and then press drop and that gets a little bit annoying, but again it's not a huge thing. The voice acting that I've already mentioned and the so, some of the popping on the items on the landscape as you're kind of floating along. They're the three things I'd pick out as kind of criticisms of the game. But um, another thing I've not mentioned <laughs> before I finally shut up uh, will be, is the environments uh, play a massive part. Like there's a snow bit, there's desert, there's a death mountain wherever, you know, lava flowing out. And you can't just go up death mountain with your normal clothes. You have to find, either you have to make a potion or something that makes you heat resistant, or you need to find some clothes that make you, you know, fire resistant. If you're going to the snowy mountain regions you need to be wearing a, a, you know a warm outfit you can't just go in there in your underpants uh, <laughs> you can walk around in your underpants in a lot of the game if you want to um, and you know different armor sets give you different defense but they also have the benefit of making you better in these certain environments one of them makes you better at swimming and I think that's done really really well it feels like some of the areas like the snow bit feels difficult to be in because you're like oh it's so bloody icy and you move through the snow really, really slowly and if, if when at the start you don't even have any snow gear you're constantly losing health and it just gives it this real it feels like a mission and when you get to a you know when you find a town in that desolate kind of snow area it makes it really exciting so oh finally i can go and get some snow gear and whatever else but that i think the environment how the environment impacts on the game is a real plus and for example when it rains it's really hard to climb anything um, which at times is annoying but <laughs> I think it adds to it because you're like halfway up a mountain and then it suddenly starts chucking it down. You're like, right, okay, I've got to change change what I was planning to do because I'm never going to get to the top of it in this rain. But I think things like that really add to the sense of adventure in the game. Um, overall, it's not perfect, but I don't think a game has to be perfect to be a masterpiece. And I think, I think this is a masterpiece. I've still got so... Like, I finished the main story, but I've still got so much to do. I'm, and I'm so excited to play more of it. I'm going to wait until I've got a holiday again so I can put some more time into it. But it's just, I've, there's so many side missions I've not done and so many bits of the map I still haven't really explored properly. And I've, like I said, I've only done really half the shrines and I'm just so excited to do more of it. And I was, think I think after about 30 hours, I was like, yeah, this is my favourite game of all time. It's just has this wow. sense of like, freedom that i've never had in a game before and the open world games have always promised but have always have usually come up a little bit short and i was like comparing it to you know i love ocarina of time i think this is better than ocarina of time i love super mario 64 i think this is a better game i love red dead redemption i think this is a better game and i was just like yeah i think it's my favorite game because i think it just does i think it, it's not as groundbreaking at the time as ocarina of time was because it was like the first sort of real 3d adventure type you know it did lots of things that hadn't been done before but i still think this is i think it really pushes the boundaries of an open world genre which is impressive considering it's nintendo's really first open world game and and i think it's I think a lot of other companies are probably going to be following some of the things it does for, for years to come. And I think it's probably because they've spent so bloody long on it. <laughs> they've just, and I'm so happy they have, because rather than deliver something that's not polished and, you know, half-baked, they've really set, they had this ridiculous idea and it might have seemed impossible, but if you put enough time into it, it's possible and they've proved that. And they've made this this world where you really can do anything and where... You know, some you listen to a podcast and someone's just like, oh, guess what I, you know, yesterday I did this. And you're just like, what? That's possible. And there's just so many stupid little things you can do that you wouldn't have thought of. You can bloody, you know, you can ride on the back of a bear. You can set the bear on fire. And then you'll just be like running through the forest, setting the bear on fire. I've seen a video of someone doing that. Just random. <laughs> all this brilliant. Sounds magical. Uh, it's, yeah, it's just, you can pretty much do whatever the hell you want. Uh, and I love that about it. And you can some some of the shrines you can solve in ways that the the designers probably never thought you could. But I love that about it. <laughs> People just get really inventive and uh, do stupid things that ends up meaning they get to the end of the shrine in a really weird way. But I think that's brilliant. And so yeah, I think it's it gave me that magical feeling that Ocarina of Time did when I played it. And I think that's a feeling that comes much less easily when you're 29 than when you're 11. So I think that says a lot for it. And yeah, I'm just like enamored by this game. I absolutely love it. It's fabulous. And I'm so happy that I've played it for 70 hours and I've, my completion percentage, according to the map, is 
which uh, (laughs) (laughs) makes me wonder how long this is going to take to finish. But but I'm not annoyed by that. It's brilliant. And I think also a quick thing on the Switch, um, which has made this so much more, because I've always struggled to play games that are this long, but it's so much easier on the Switch because you literally can. You press the power button, it just goes to sleep, um, and you press the power button, it goes back on exactly where you were within one second. And that's like, you could have it in the handheld mode and then turn it off, go, right, okay, I'll carry that on in a bit. And you press it on, play for 10 minutes, you can turn it off again, you're exactly where you were. Whereas if on the PS4, it's going to take at least, yeah, you might sound, you know, I might be sounding first word problems here, and it is. But it takes about, you know, it's going to take at least three minutes to get the bloody thing up and get started. Which sometimes when you've got a 10 minute gap, is going to put you off doing that. Whereas with the Switch, you just pick it up, press it, bam, and then you can just press it to turn it off. And you don't have to worry about it auto-saving or anything like that because it will just be exactly where you were when you turn it back on. And that's such a brilliant thing that I've kind of underestimated. And it's one of the main reasons that I love the console. But along with the fact I can just, someone using the telly, I'll just go, right, I'll snap the controller onto the side, pick it up and just play it handheld and carry on. And that's pretty fantastic too. But Would you say... The experience changes radically when you take it handheld as opposed to playing on a television. Um, I thought it would, but no, I don't think so. I think it does, like a game like Zelda, I think I'd prefer to play on the television, but the screen, the Switch screen is really, really good. Um, at first, people were like, oh, it's only 720p. It doesn't need to be any more than 720p. It's like six point something inches big. And, you know, you put your eyes right up to it, you can't really see the pixels. <laughs> it doesn't need to be any better. And the, the colours on it are beautiful and... When you're kind of holding it, you hold it fairly close to your face, so it does still feel quite big, um, and it doesn't really detract from the experience at all. It does. I think it's always going to feel a little bit less epic just because it's handheld, but it's still a really, really good way to play it, and the fact that you can play this open-world game on it and not to take a lot away from it, I think, says a lot for how good it is because that's the type of game where you'd think it would take a lot away from it, isn't it? But And it, it plays exactly the same like you know it's the exact same game on the handheld as it is on the and it look it looks good on the tv so obviously when you shrink it down it looks a bit more kind of it looks a little bit better because it pops out a little bit more and things are a bit more squashed so you can tell some of the low resolution textures a little bit less if you know what i mean but wow it's, yeah really 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 good <laughs> I so that's I'm, I'm looking for I'm, I will be getting a switch eventually and this will be obviously my first purchase. Um if you were to quickly give us your top 3 Zelda games in order Clive what would it be? <laughs> <laughs> right well I I have to confess here that I'm not the I should have said this at the start like of the Zelda of the Nintendo franchises Mario is my favorite one Zelda's always been second and I've I've always loved it but it's always been second whereas now it's kind of this game has usurped that. But um, I haven't played Twilight Princess or Skyward Sword, but apart from those, I would put them probably this, then Ocarina, then Wind Waker, but Wind Waker and Ocarina could be either way around. It's tough for me to rank Ocarina just because it's been so long since I've played it, and I'm basing it more on nostalgic kind of, which, which if anything, is going to mean I rate it more highly than I actually should. <laughs> so, I don't yeah, know, so maybe Wind Waker would would be better but I don't know I'd have to play it again I doubt I'll play Ocarina and go oh actually this is better than Breath of the Wild I seriously doubt that because this game is just so good <laughs> see oh. I'm actually playing through Ocarina at the moment um, on yeah. my 3DS uh, I'm kind of taking my time with it because I played it a long time ago but um, it's still just as good as I remember yeah right uh, Flux uh, have you been a, a Zelda fan over the years? Uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I've played quite a few of them, um, and I've enjoyed every one I've played. I'm currently going through a Link Between Worlds, I think, the 3DS one where you can turn yeah, into a really painting. Yeah, really good, really good. Um, That's a really yeah, good, good too. Yeah, I've been going through that on the 3DS, so um, I'm not not quite, not quite. I would suggest just over halfway through that. So cool, Dave. Played any Zelda games in your time? No, I never have. Um, the only Nintendo console or device I've ever owned was the Wii, uh, and I didn't play Zelda on that. Uh, I mean, I never even had a Game Boy or anything. Hashtag first world problems. Um, <laughs> I played Pokemon Red on an emulator on the Amiga. Um, the so, but listening to Clive and having read other things before Clive, but mainly what Clive just said there. 
I am, yeah, extremely excited to um, to give this game a go. I was just saying to Mo before we started the podcast, I have some back page you in May, and I have no doubt that I will spunk it all up the wall on a um, on a switch. And this would probably be my first. <laughs> yeah, my first I would purchase. Say that's money got, well spent. But I, I've got a, a suspicion that you might enjoy this possibly even more than Clive if you've never played a Zelda game. I just wonder if kind of the sheer maybe. I'm not sure it's I think I think somebody who has played loads and loads of Zelda games is not going to have any advantage over a fresh fresh gamer. No. Just just well just maybe a with the combat with the combat possibly because it's kind of been mm. the same. Mm. So that feels it might be a bit tricky to pick up for someone new, but well, if if it helps, I've been um, I've been setting fire to bears for years. Anyway, <laughs> that's perfect. Yeah, yeah. and by be, bears, I mean, I mean, I mean, I mean, um, large, hairy, homosexual men. <laughs> oh, I thought you were going to say the um, the bodies of uh, strangled sex workers, but um, yeah, I'd, you know, e- either or. Tomato, uh, tomato. Yeah. <laughs> you and your London hobbies. Um, <laughs> so when, anyway, uh, so Clive was right then. We he, he wasn't going to spend twenty minutes talking about um, <laughs> the new Zelda game. No, he wasn't. No. <laughs> we're anyway, we're definitely getting this under an hour though. Yeah. Yeah. No problem. Yeah. Good luck, uh, Clive. That'll probably be that'll probably be the longest review I ever do, but I feel it's appropriate at least. Best game ever, says Clive. Yeah, Fisher. so it's probably. Uh, probably warrants it right Um, right well due to you know budgetary shortcuts Flux you've got one minute to talk about your game (laughs) (laughs) Watch Dogs 2 I enjoyed it Um, (laughs) uh, so as I've just revealed uh, I'm going to be talking about uh, Watch Dogs 2 um, developed by Ubisoft Montreal and published by Ubisoft uh, Watch Box 2 is a sandbox open world game in the kind of GTA style we we all know. The story focuses on um, one particular character, Marcus Retro Holloway, as the only playable character. He's a hacker who joins the DeadSec hacker group in San Francisco um, after it installs the CTOS system that was installed in Chicago in the previous instalment. Um, the gameplay and visuals are what you would expect from a sort of AAA studio doing this type of a game, so I'm not going to get too heavily involved in describing that. They're exactly what you'd expect. Um, so yeah, um, I'll jump straight into jump straight into my review. In terms of pros, there's a new addition to Watch Dogs 2 that there wasn't in Watch Dogs, and that's um, the use of uh, remote controlled drones um, and I so there's a, a quadcopter that's a flying drone of the type you see on the news all the time as people say they get involved in flight paths etc. Um, and a sort of remote control car that has a sp- spring lever in the bottom of it such that it can jump onto ledges as well uh, called the RC jumper. Um, you can deploy them pretty much anywhere at any time. Um, you can't like deploy them out of a car or something like that, but anywhere you are on foot you can pretty much launch these um and it adds a kind of huge layer of options available to you when you are completing missions the ability to chuck a remote control flying drone up in the air and get high enough that no one can see it and kind of surveil the area and pick your targets and pick your way through an area of missing cameras and so on and so forth um is really really helpful i use them pretty much all of the time that I played, I very rarely, I would happily complete missions never going anywhere near the area I was, or staying on the kind of perimeter of the area I was supposed to go in and then doing everything via a drone. Because you can also use the drones to hack other objects in that environment. So you could fly your drone up high and then, say, hack a, a forklift truck to move stuff around and do stuff for you. And even though I used them, like I say, pretty much all the time, um, I didn't... and. I very, very heavily relied on them in pretty much every scenario. I don't think the game was overly reliant on them. I think that I feel like, whether whether it's just an illusion, but I feel like it was my choice to use them in the missions and that I could have walked through and done it in a different way if I'd have chosen, but I didn't. I preferred to use the drones. That's how I like to play, and I feel like if someone had a different playstyle to me, they might not use them anywhere near as much and might prefer to go in guns blazing and do things differently to the way I did it. 
Um, but yeah, they were a really good addition and the controls to use them were really intuitive. Um, another uh, pro of this game is the kind of focus on the non-lethal combat or a non-lethal aspect at least that's kind of unusual for this sort of a game. Obviously, the the market leader is obviously going to be Grand Theft Auto, which, let's face it, isn't exactly known for its restraint. Um, and so a kind of a change a change of perspective to a more non-lethal form of combat I think is I think is refreshing and good um, the first gun you get is a stun gun and it's pretty much the only weapon I used other than the drones and a few of the gadgets and things you unlocked I very rarely took a shotgun out and shot anyone I know another reviewer has said that because because of the way it's set up for you to be able to non-lethally take people down, they would have said they wouldn't have put guns in it at all. And I kind of agree. Like I say, I so rarely used a, a lethal weapon to take anyone out, either stun gun or a stun grenade device that you can build, anything like that. I would much prefer to use them just because they're effective or until you get later on in the game, they're pretty much a one hit. And even though they recover after some time, you can use you're usually out of the area by the time anyone gets back to you. Um, another sort of pro of this game is there's a shift to a more, um, not necessarily comedic, but definitely a light-hearted style. Um, there's tons and tons of pop culture references and jokes, and the sort of the talk between the other members of your hacker group over the radio and stuff is really really light-hearted and entertaining. There's loads and loads of hidden jokes and bits and pieces. Um, in particular, I would recommend as you, at least at, at least at the beginning of the game, they do start to repeat themselves. But there are tons and tons of hidden jokes in voicemails and texts that you can hack off of people's phones, and you just hack their phone and just listen to someone who's leaving them a voicemail message that um, could be about absolutely anything. Uh, some of them, some of them uh, really really funny. Some of them. Uh, are just a bit weird. <laughs> the characters themselves are kind of wacky caricatures, I suppose, from the uh, Josh, who's like a kind of autistic spectrum, really focused, all about the numbers hacker, to the crazy master builder wrench, who just wants to burn the world for the fun of it. Like I say, the conversations are broadly light-hearted, but there are some poignant moments, despite the absolutely wacky characters. Um, and I, I really enjoyed the tone. It's certainly very different in tone from a GTA or a, or a similar kind of serious focused game there is there is clearly a more light-hearted style um, in terms of negatives the style is somewhat inconsistent Ubisoft have tried to make it as a sort of anarchic taking down the big corporations um, hacker group or sort of hacktivist type style and they they try and focus on that and you do stuff that's in that alternative culture like graffiti and things like that but then it's coming from a huge triple a game publisher who are kind of part of that world so they're sort of trying to have their cake and eat it a bit and sometimes it it just feels disjointed there's a side mission where you have to hack the ubisoft studios (laughs) Uh, and where you get basically the idea is that you're hacking to get a leak from a new game that's coming out from Ubisoft which then as I understand it is a real game that's currently in development for them whether it comes out or not yet to be seen so it was basically a way of sneaking an advert into the game which is the type of thing that the corporations you're against in the game would try and do and it's kind of a really weird whether it's supposed to be a meta joke or not it's kind of really weird and disjointed sort of style um, or a disjointed message, perhaps I should say. Um, and there are a few, there are a few moments like that where it's like, hang on, you, he's sort of pro taking down these big corporations, but then he's doing some things that are really, really in that kind of vein of the things that he's saying are so awful. Um, but yeah, um, so that's it. Can can be a bit of a confusing message, perhaps. Another sort of con, if you like that maybe again ties in with the style a bit is that you're really really overpowered you're supposed to be a 24 year old even if you were a super hacker you're like a 24 year old guy and yet you're able to just essentially absolutely dismantle 
this evil shadowy corporation that are supposed to be light years ahead of you in terms of technology and stuff like that and have enough money to employ an army of sort of private security guards, all of whom are armed to the teeth. And yet you basically just walk into every compound that they have armed with a remote control car and a stun gun. Just seems really odd. And despite having to do a few of the missions several times and uh, having to work out sort of different ways of doing it and what have you to be successful, even on the times I got caught and alarms got triggered, I didn't necessarily feel like, oh, God, this level's impossible. I feel so outmatched. It's like, oh, yeah, sorry, missed that alarm. I'll go back and do it again right this time. I never <laughs> felt like I was in any kind of real jeopardy during the game unless I triggered an alarm and hundreds of people arrived, at which point I was dead anyway and restarting the mission. The, I suppose the final con, perhaps, is that for a large sandbox open world game, the story itself is pretty short and there aren't millions of side missions as there are with perhaps some other equivalent games. Um, now, I personally didn't mind it. I thought because of its sort of unique style and whatever you that actually I'd rather have it short and sharp. Um, and do you know what I mean? It's, cer- it's certainly not a sort of six hour, eight hour game. There's, there's plenty to do. Um, and I think it's better to have it short and sharp rather than dragging on and kind of you getting bored towards the end, which I wasn't. I genuinely was interested all the way through. Um, but if you compare it to, say, GTA V, there's, I would suggest, half of the game time, perhaps, that you would get out of that, partly because the story itself is shorter and partly just because there's less in the way of additional content and stuff that the GTA V or another Rockstar title would have in terms of the hidden things they put in. On the whole, I found this a really enjoyable game. I, I like the style, I like that it was tongue-in-cheek. No, it's probably not as in-depth as other sandbox games out there, but you know what? It was enough to quench my appetite for um, a game of this style, and I certainly didn't feel short-changed by the length of the story or anything of that nature. Um, if you like kind of sandbox open-world-type games, I think this will be for you. Um, particularly if you like the the GTA sort of third person cover shooter style, um, and it's a solid sort of seven eight out of ten. Um, it's a it's a perfectly decent game, perfectly enjoyable. Do I think I'll play it again? Probably not. But I enjoy playing through it the first time, and that's all you can ask for. Boom. And that's how you do a succinct in uh, review. Clyde. Uh, <laughs> 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 hey, wait, 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 no, no I, I loved your review, Clive. It was uh, passionate. Um, so, <laughs> not in fairness, it was also intricate. Um, Flux, so did you? So, I'm getting a sense that you, I mean, you said you enjoyed it, but you probably wouldn't play it again. Would you play a third Watch Dogs game? Yeah, I probably would. Um, yeah, I don't think I'd play through. Like I said, I don't think I'd play through this one again. And if I do, it certainly won't be for some time. It's pretty much as soon as I completed it. I'd already done quite a lot of the side missions during the thing and I traded it pretty much straight in. Um, I certainly don't intend to intend to play it again anytime soon, but if they bring out a third one, I think, I think I'd probably do it. There'd be different characters and stuff, I presume, in a different city. The rendering of San Francisco, I didn't say actually, but the rendering of San Francisco was brilliant. I've not... I've not been, so I suppose perhaps maybe maybe it's not it's not as good. But from what the reviews that I've seen of people that do live in San Francisco, there are sort of very recognisable vibes and areas and stuff. They've they've apparently done a very good job of making it seem like the real San Francisco. Um, and there is like a kind of Uber equivalent that you can work for and do that sort of thing. They, they've embraced the kind of tech vibe of um, the kind of Silicon Valley Bay's area. Uh, very, very mm. well, I think. I'm hoping the storyline is not anything like Black Hat, which is a film from a couple of years ago that I notoriously hated. Um, <laughs> yeah, I remember your rent. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's a way to do that kind of whole cool Silicon Valley hacker thing, and there's a way not to do it. Um, sounds like Watch Dogs is closer to the good way. Um, I'm sensing Clive won't have played these games. Dave, possibly... Well, I um, I reviewed the first Watch Dogs last year. Yes, I'm, I I'm glad you were paying yeah. attention. Um, <laughs> and I I rated that much more much uh, much more highly than uh, I think a lot of people did at release. I think the original Watch Dog had a lot of uh, issues when it was first released. 
and I came to it a few months after that and um, I really enjoyed the first one. I um, I do have Watch Dogs 2 and I've played the first half an hour or so but I wasn't at that time ready or prepared to start another large open world game so it's not a knock on Watch Dogs 2 in particular I think that would have been the same had it been anything else um, I enjoyed the first half an hour that I've played I mean it's 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 nothing it's still the introduction it was quite interesting just hearing what Mo just said then because uh, in that first half an hour I I have I not to blow my own trumpet but I have once been to San Francisco and um, it's incredible to be on a computer game and be driving down a road and think, well, if I turn left here, I'll be at City Hall and turn left and there's City Hall rendered exactly how you remember it when you were there. That's um, that was pretty cool. Yeah, so I can see Watch Dogs 2 from where I'm sat and I will I will get around to playing it. I've just not not done it yet. Right. Cool. Excellent. OK, uh, well, he's just been talking, but now we'll hear from him in more depth. Dave, what is your first game or only game well I wasn't going to talk about a whole game this time so I think as I've said on the last couple of games uh, podcasts now um, basically the only the only uh, console game I've been playing is Battlefield uh, so I've still been playing Battlefield 1 quite a lot and I was going to talk very quickly about uh, the first set of downloadable content which um, dropped back in March the first uh, I've already talked about Battlefield One and uh, what I what I enjoyed about it. The first um, set of downloadable content for it is uh, called "They Shall Not Pass," and adds to the game for the first time the French army, which um, I know an awful lot of people considered a pretty large uh, kind of omission from a First World War set game, but they are here now. Uh, the down the DLC also adds an extra four maps and some more weapons. The new weapons, there's one new uh, French weapon for each class. They do uh, an excellent job as as EA have done throughout the Battlefield One series by not making them unbalanced. They they add something new and slightly different, and perhaps some people's playing styles might fit the weapons better, but they aren't game changers by any means and. Unlike the um, the weapons in the first game, which were all unlocked by uh, using in-game uh, XP, essentially, apart from um, one weapon that was unlocked when you reached the 10th level of that particular class, these are unlocked by performing tasks on the battlefield, usually uh, a set number of kills with a different type of weapon, or resupplying others and so on. So... Um, they shouldn't necessarily take as long to get as the level 10 weapons once you've purchased the DLC. The, um, the four maps all feature the French army. They are included in two new operations, which is one of the games modes in Battlefield 1. I have to say I'm slightly disappointed by the maps in this, in this DLC. They, they focus a lot on um, kind of... Uh, choke points in in the map to uh, limit armies from um, kind of taking checkpoints in in the operations uh, game modes. But I've, uh, unfortunately, I think they've made the game. These maps are way too heavily in favour of the defensive forces, and I'm not sure that I've ever seen a game, or very very rarely have I seen a game won by the attackers in any of these formats with the exception of um, um, the uh, Soissons map, which is based on a real uh, First World War battle where the French deploy tanks for the first time on a large scale and seize the attackers with um, three or four times more tanks deployed on the, bat- on the battlefield at any one time than any other map in the game, to kind of emphasise that. And it's wholly misbalanced in the opposite direction. So I've been slightly disappointed by the by the maps i think that certainly ea have been quite good on this game at releasing regular patches to even out uh issues uh and i hope that they are looking to address some of the uh niggling little uh issues with the maps that could just be improved by uh widening the um the area around choke points that's available for players to actually play on 
there's an awful lot of uh, map rendered outside of the playable area so I don't see why that should be a greatly difficult move to make. There is the addition of a new behemoth so in the original game there was a large uh, Dreadnought on uh, some levels and others an armoured train. This sees the addition of a super heavy tank uh, which allows you to drive the behemoth across any part of the map which is uh, an excellent uh, feature and I think that this particular behemoth is, uh, is quite fun to play. And again whilst obviously the idea behind the behemoth is that they're awarded to teams that are losing quite badly in an effort to help balance the, the, the game they uh, aren't so decisive that deploying them um, switches switches the game immediately. It kind of it provides a little bit of a reward for a team that's doing badly, but not at the expense of the effort that the team that's doing well has put in. Um, all in all, I think I have enjoyed the DLC. I think a little bit more work, as I say, could have been done for the maps. Uh, I'm looking forward to the next one, which is due out in June, I believe, which will see the Russian army added and some maps. Um, set in Siberia. This has definitely been the longest that I've been playing a single game now for many years I think I've been playing this pretty consistently since its release date so uh, I don't have a premium pass but I did pick this DLC up on its own at the time I bought it I think it was about £12 I think it's still that price now but uh, it will likely drop when the next DLC comes out and I think for the amount of hours that I've put into it, it's uh, definitely been value for money. I always, uh, I, I don't think I've ever bought a premium pass for anything because you can never know when you buy one necessarily how many hours you're going to dedicate to a game. I think some people can, I don't think that I can. I don't know that I'll still be playing this game in a year's time, which is by the, which is when the last and final DLC comes out so I don't think I'll, I'll worry about the premium pass again now but I think that a lot of people who knew that they were going to be playing this many hours uh, on this game I think of people who will regularly play COD and uh, the other Battlefield games which I confess I'm not one of those people in the past they would have I think they would have felt like they've got a pretty good deal uh, for what for the amount of money that they've, they've spent on that so yeah so um, that's just a quick little uh, quick little update on uh, what I've been doing so yeah Battlefield 1 they shall not pass the downloadable content right <clears throat> smashing um, is, so is it just that this game is so addictive and has so much additional content or is it purely that there hasn't been any other games that have struck your fancy I think that uh, the game has been addictive I don't know that there's lots of additional content um, games like this are made by gameplay I think so. Um, right. Okay. The game, the game has been has been very well balanced. I think the 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 way each individual battle has played out have, has always been quite um, interesting. I think it, it looks very good and it plays very well. Um, the other the other side to that coin is that I'm still not at some at some point you'll either complete a game or you'll play it for so long that you stop being super interested in it and I've not yet reached that point with Battlefield 1 and the other games that I have sat waiting for me to play are all large scale open world games and I'm not quite in that mindset to devote to to starting a commitment for another 40, 70 hours yet although um, as I say after listening to Clive earlier that, that might be about to change Right, fantastic. I think well, I think we've talked about Battlefield quite a lot. Um it's one of those games I think I think if I had the time to dedicate to it, I'd love to give it a go. Well we'll come back to that. Okay, Clive, what else do you have for us today? Um well I'll just be short because we're uh, you know, already on the hour mark. <laughs> so we've already failed. Old habits. Um I was just gonna mention very quickly, um I've finished Doom. Uh, that's Doom that came out last year, not Doom that came out however many years ago. Um, I think Flux has already done an in-depth review on this, so I'm not going to go into loads of detail. But it's the PS4 and Xbox One uh, sort of remake of the... I don't know, I don't think it's a remake, I think it's more of a reboot. Hmm. Um, I've not played the original Doom. I didn't think it would be my type of game at all, but I kept hearing people raving about it. And when I heard them talking about it, they were like, oh, it's totally different to other first-person shooters. So I was like, yeah, I'll, get, I'll give this a go. And it is. And I really, really loved it, like, way more than I expected to. It's just got a completely different feel to other shooters. Like, there's, it's more on... Well, the one thing it doesn't do, which I've always hated about shooters, is the since Halo, it's um, you lose health, and then you suddenly have to hide behind something and get your health back. It's like, that 
um, mechanic just does my head in because I think it's, I don't know, I just think it's weird. <laughs> like, not, A, it's not really realistic, not that Doom is realistic in any way, but it just doesn't, I don't really like it as a mechanic. I think it just slows things down. I like to be, probably because I like a more gung-ho style rather than a stealth style, which Doom is all in favour for. Because in Doom, you get your health by blowing bloody demons' heads off, and then they give you health. <laughs> and that's the only way you should get health. So, yeah, I really enjoyed the kind of, how it really emphasises just going in there, going crazy, you know, just jumping straight in and shooting some enemies rather than hiding around things. Um, I found that really fun, and I like the kind of glory kill thing of when they like light up when they're nearly dead and you can go in and rip parts of their body off and, you know, knock them out with their own body parts and stuff like that, which I didn't think I would like, but <laughs> it's weird that I do because it's, I think it's just because it's this, it creates this really weird sort of hellish world where all this stuff seems fine. So... And it does it really well. Also, the soundtrack's great. It just has a really, really kind of addictive gameplay loop, and which meant it's really long, actually, as well. 13 hours, which for a first-person shooter is quite long. Yeah, that's how long it, around, around about how long it took me, but I didn't at any point get bored, and I think I'm going to go back to some of the missions and play them again, uh, which isn't something I've done since GoldenEye, so in a first-person shooter game. So it says a lot for how, how much fun I had with it. So, yeah, Doom, if you've not played it, it comes highly recommended for me. I think it's just, yeah. Again, the story's pretty nonsensical. I didn't really get what was going on, but it didn't. I didn't care because <laughs> it's the, the gameplay bit was fun, and that's mainly why I play games, generally speaking. Um, and the second thing I wanted to just give a quick thing on uh, Mario Kart 8 Deluxe. I'm not going to go into it massively because it's more or less the same as Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U. But they have added a battle mode, which is really fun. There's a, uh, coin runners where you have to collect as many coins as possible, which you lose if you get shot. Uh, the classic balloon battle where you know you lose balloons when you get hit. A renegade roundup, which is really fun, where half half of the players are have piranhas on the front and half of them are just trying to get away. <laughs> so you're just trying to catch the other team. And so it's kind of like a cops and robbers thing, which is really fun. Um, I have forgot. There's two other modes as well. Oh, bomb blast, which you just where you literally just everything that you pick up is a bomb and you just have to throw it at other people to blow them up um, and the longer you hold it the further the bomb goes and things like that which is pretty fun um, and yeah I've really enjoyed the battle mode I have been playing mostly the racing again which I think is testament for how good it is because they haven't added any new maps but there are 48 racetracks in this game which <laughs> uh, when you consider that something like Double Dash had 16 is insane um, and every single one of them is great like they're all really really well designed I love all the tracks and it's just such a if you haven't if you've got a switch and you haven't played the wii u game then it's absolutely worth the 40 quid like it's chock full of content there's like 50 characters endless bloody cart variations and yeah like i say 48 racing tracks and now eight battle maps whereas before the battle mode was a bit shit um well a bit shit was pretty much rubbish but <laughs> they've now made it good so it's this is the definitive mario kart for me now <laughs> Um, and I would say it's difficult to say whether it's worth it just as an upgrade because, you know, 40 quid for an upgrade seems like a lot. But if you sell your old Mario Kart for whatever, 15, 20 quid, then it costs you 20, 25 quid. And I'd say it's worth that to be able to, for me anyway, to be able to just play it whenever the hell I want and to have it, um, well, just to have it on the Switch. I don't need to have my Wii U plugged in constantly. So that makes it better. And yeah, I've been really, really enjoying getting back into it. So I don't have tons to say on it, but that's just what I wanted to add. Cool. So is it just um, Zelda and Mario Kart that you've got on the Switch, or have you purchased any other games? Yeah, that's all That's all I've got at the minute. Just There's a load of kind of indie stuff, which sounds interesting, but I've been spending so much time on those and feel like I've got way more to put into them as well that I don't think I'll be getting anything in a rush. I'm excited for Splatoon 2, which is coming out soon, but mm. those two games are definitely keeping me occupied. So... Don't see any need to get anything else too soon. But yeah, it seems to be well uh, stocked with indies, which is promising. Still not a load of third... I don't think there'll be loads of third-party support, maybe until next year, because I don't think dev kits and things have been out for particularly long. So, But we'll see. So far, Smashing. everything that's been on it's been gold anyway, so all good. Right, fantastic. Um, de uh, sorry, Flux, did you have anything else you wanted to add? Um, no, I did have a second, but given our commitment to the listener, I'll cut it and I'll do it next time. When oh, um, is so it, that, is, that is it is it an exciting second? Um, <laughs> yeah, do you know what? Actually, yeah, I've I have enjoyed it, 
and I think you can Clive go, you can really go for will if you want, too. I'll, ju- I'll drop a spoiler for Clive oh, okay. that I think he'll really enjoy this game. He should, he should definitely play it when I review it. Right, okay. Mm. Okay, so... Uh, I'm in, <laughs> in terms of my game, game playing, I've just still been playing Ocarina of Time. I'm stuck in the past. I did, however, uh, this weekend manage to buy Pokemon Blue again. Ooh. Uh, a bit, bit randomly. So you're definitely stuck <laughs> yeah, in the past. Yeah, definitely <laughs> stuck in the past. I, I actually, uh, we actually bought it... Um, for Ellen, uh, she's going to be playing it on my 3DS. But um, I was hoping to get a fit. So you got the virtual console. Um, yeah, although it came, it came yeah. in a box, and then I was disappointed that it it only oh, it only weird. had a code in it. I was like, I wanted a physical <laughs> copy, but um, there you go. Right. Um, so it appears that all of my electronic devices have gone haywire. Somebody from Watch Dogs must have been <laughs> hacking me, and thus I'm without information on the position of the sun. Um, any any suggestions as to what time it might be? Yeah, let me just have a look. Let's open the window. Oh, it's plug time! Ooh. At Stick Around Cast on Twitter. <laughs> stick Around Podcast at gmail.com. Um, stick Around Podcast.com on the interwebs. Patreon.com slash stick around if you want to throw some money away and help with website costs. Um, Facebook.com slash stick around podcast on Facebook. Find us on any old podcast app. Give us five star reviews on iTunes. Apparently they help. And just subscribe. Tell your friends. That's the main thing. Um, oh, we're also on Instagram slash stick around podcast. Is it there? It is. That's the one I always forget. Yeah. It is, isn't it? Cool. I think that's. I think I've nailed you, it. That's far too professional. What are you doing there? That feels like I should have loads more yeah. left. I think it's just because I have the extra mental capacity <laughs> that you've retained by us not having done a three and a half hour long podcast today. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> possibly. Possibly. Right. So yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks for coming to listening to our new slimmed down. Basically, all we've done is just let, not let Flux talks so talk. <laughs> yeah, which, which and I've, incre- I've, I've increased the amount of time I've talked. So <laughs> I apologise. <laughs> I'll work on that. I don't think there'll be any reviews quite as long as that again. So no, no, I'll, I'll not, still it's on the once podcast. every seven years as Elder Breath of the Wild comes along. So <laughs> cool. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, thanks for coming along and listening. Thank um, Al. You can uh, you know say bye to everyone as you're hosting. I don't want to steal your right. job. Um, yeah, well, yeah, you've got to leave me with something to do, Clive. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's goodbye from Clive. Bye. Goodbye from Flux. Adios. Goodbye from Dave. Auf Wiedersehen. And goodbye from me. You can come back next time for, I believe, music. Yes, we're hopefully recording that this week, aren't we? So that'll be cool. Right, thanks for listening. Come back next time. Stick around. Stick around. Mario. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you all for listening Rest assured that you have found The best podcast in the universe It's Stick Around